You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric Jasob here. Excited to be with Victor Sanchez, who has some LA things to talk about, but was an NLC Boston 2014 fellow. So we'll include him in this exciting batch of episodes we've had with alums from other parts of the country. Glad to have him on. Let's get to it. All right, Victor, how'd you end up doing NLC in Boston in 2014? So, uh, you know, I moved up there actually for work with uh, the AFL-CIO. My partner had got into the the Kennedy School, and um, I was looking for a community in a new city. I was doing a lot of regional work, and I wanted to, to have a feeling of being anchored uh, in the community that I was in. And I, I ran into the to the NLC program. I actually had a few friends that had done it in, in other cities, and it was something that was, uh, was talking talking to me values wise. And I said, well, why not? Let's give it a shot. Looks like a good yeah. program and ended up being a really great opportunity. And are most of the folks from the city itself in Boston? They come from all the surrounding suburbs. What's the makeup of the group? Yeah, I was primarily from the city of Boston, but he had some folks that were that were coming in from, from outside. And then were you uh, ultimately there for, for how, how many years were you there in Boston? I ended up being there for about three and a half. Got it. Yeah. And the, the the job you have now brought brought you back or something else brought you here? No. So I decided to move back home. Uh, you know, so I'm originally from Los Angeles. And so uh, for me, you know, I was, was there doing great work with AFL-CIO. I uh, decided it was time to, to come to grad school to kind of take the next step, uh, I guess, career-wise. And so the opportunity to attend USC Price came up and uh, you know, it's LA and I had been away for about 10 years. And so I was, I was itching to get back home and to, to make the journey back. And so decided to come back to grad school and, and come back to LA. And what was the most surprising thing about coming to grad school here? Most surprising thing I think is how much a lot has changed, uh, you know, growing up. Uh, I mean, you see a lot, I think not only from like the physical environment, obviously, but um, in terms of my own political consciousness, but the, the kinds of policies, right, that we were fighting for when I was first getting politicized, uh, you know, as a, as a young high school student, but also in, in college, uh, you know, L.A. is very much looked upon, I think, as like an incubator for progressive policy and progressive policy change. And so I think for me, it was exciting to get back to an environment that I was more aware of, but you could see in a more active way, right, L.A. was really kind of thriving and trying to figure out how to, how to tend to its diverse population and how to solve some of the, the most pressing issues that I think are going on uh, today. And then the folks in the program with you, are they primarily right out of undergrad or folks have plenty of work experience like you had? What's the makeup of the group? It was a good mix. Uh, we had a lot of folks that were straight out of undergrad, uh, a lot of folks that had plenty of years experience. I actually found myself on the older end of the spectrum, which was <laughs> kind of interesting. I think for me, it was uh, quite the change, but uh, it was good because you get to interface with folks with different personal experiences, different backgrounds, um, experiences in different lines of work. Uh, and so it was challenging in the sense, I think for me, I did the, the public policy program. And so data and analytics, you know, those are, those are two fields that I didn't necessarily dive too deeply and I've, I'm coming out of the organizing and advocacy space. So for me, the, the qualitative data was, was always the, the biggest focus for us. And so it was challenging. You met a bunch of new great people from different parts of the country. And um, I think it was cool being really in the heart of LA. I mean, you're in South LA, you're in a community that uh, I think for years is it's, it's a marginalized community of color, right? And so for me, it was about also reintegrating back into LA, giving back to the most vulnerable communities as much as possible and, and doing it via policy, which I think 
is very important uh, and needed, right? You have a, you need a lot of good people to be doing policy work, uh, especially to kind of address some of these challenges that are going on. And so then did the, the job you're in now, did, did it find you or you found the job? How did that come yeah. together? So it was, uh, it, you know, it's by way of, of connections, you know, I uh, was actually started looking. Um, I was doing research at USC for the, the program for environmental and regional equity uh, with Professor Manuel Pastor, who sits on the board of Lane. Uh, but my connection to to Lane, the Los Angeles Alliance for a New Economy, um, came from a former coworker actually with the AFL CIO who had who's friends with the executive director and basically you know said that they were looking for an organizer. I'm sorry, for a director for a campaign um, in Long Beach, uh, based in LA, and uh, you know I I made the connection. You had breakfast, and from there you know continued talking and ended up applying and the fit ended up being a really good one. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I've landed at Lane. And so the work you're doing now with the hospitality campaign, explain it to, to folks. Yeah, basically right now, you know, the Lane is really focused around economic empowerment for, for marginalized communities and uh, specifically around economic equity in, in really important industries. And so in Long Beach, the hospitality industry is one of the largest sectors of the economy in the city. And uh, unfortunately, it's also one of the lowest uh, paid uh, sectors of the economy. You have uh, immigrant, primarily immigrant women of color. And so it's uh, it's an industry that, you know, you have to do a lot to uh, to be able to achieve economic equity. And it's, you know, it's beyond just wages and benefits. We, the, the campaign itself had a big victory back in 2012 with the passage of Measure N, which raised the minimum wage for, for hotel workers higher than what the, the state minimum wage was. But the fight the last three years uh, has been around protections in the workplace against sexual and physical uh, abuse, uh, mainly from hotel guests as well as coworkers, but mainly from hotel guests because of the the precarious nature um, or incidences, right? That sometimes housekeepers find themselves in, and so uh, for the hospitality work, it's really geared towards uplifting the industry and raising the standards uh, and making sure that the the workers who come from marginalized communities have the protections that they need to be able to work with dignity and respect. So then when a case like what happened in Vegas with Steve Wynn comes into the news, does that make your work harder, make it easier? What things happen when something like that blows up in such a big way? I mean, I think it puts a magnifying glass on what has been, uh, you know, really, a, or shines a light on really what has been a, a big issue to begin with. I, you know, it's actually, it's, it's a conversation starter with everyone's like, well, why just hotel workers? And I'm like, well, if you think about a lot of the incidences, right, that have been coming to light these last few months, Steve Wynn included, uh, where do they happen? And a lot of people answer, well, they happen in hotels. It says, exactly. I mean, if those are the incidents that are occurring in hotels. Well, imagine the hotel workers who are there day in and day out, uh, working oftentimes on the floor alone, uh, cleaning these rooms and in these situations where, you know, it's extremely vulnerable. And if there's not the needed protections uh, for people to be able to speak out uh, without the fear of being retaliated, which is a big one, um, then how are we going to ever be able to, to deal with this issue on a systemic level um, if we're not paying attention to how these things manifest everywhere, not to mention the hospitality industry? So then if Lane got all of its goals accomplished, what would that look like policy-wise? What would that look like on the ground for the people working in the hotels? I mean, I think for them, it's it, on the grand scheme of things, is a greater sense of dignity and respect, right? I think you want to make sure that these workers are able to provide for their families, that they can retire with security, that you know they they have a process for reporting incidents, that 
you know, doesn't leave them vulnerable to, to any kind of retaliation. Um, I think for us, it's, it's livable wages, it's complete benefits, it's these kinds of protections against sexual assault and abuse, uh, workloads that are humane, so there's no forced overtime, right? And so you're, I think our ultimate vision is to see a hospitality industry uh, that is a, is a high road industry and that, that really kind of sets a tone for, for how we should be treating our workers uh, and how that's an integral part to the values of a city like Long Beach. Yeah. When we come back, we'll ask some more questions on this topic and ask a little bit more about uh, Victor's return to LA. Thanks for listening to The Zag. We will be right back. Victor, now that you've worked in Long Beach for a little bit with on this uh, organizing effort, anything uncovered to you about what Long Beach is like compared to LA? I feel like there's still mystery in my own mind about the differences and how people who live in Long Beach view themselves versus people who live in LA. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, I think Long Beach doesn't get the the kind of love that it needs. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of people will think of it. Oh, it's, it's kind of even in. I think when you're looking at it at the data sense, right? It's referred to like a almost as if it's a neighborhood of Los Angeles. So it's very much, it's very much its own city. And I think uh, you know, half a million people. Uh, it has its own ecosystem. Um, it's a it's a very diverse, beautiful city, right? I think it has a lot to offer. Uh, in terms of being a part of right Southern California, um, but I also think it's unfortunately a poster child for income inequality, uh, for the horrible legacy of redlining. If you look at the demographic map, you can see the disparities very clearly in terms of the east and west sides of Long Beach, uh, north and central parts in particular. Right, uh, the you know the life expectancy from the east, some parts from the east to the to the west side differs by seven years. Uh, because of you know not only a lot of the issues that come with with income inequality and poverty, but also with the environmental impacts of the main seven ten corridor, right? The port uh, is there, and so it's a it's really a city that that is that has the challenges that I think a lot of other parts in this country you know have, and so I think for for organizers, uh, for for policymakers, right? Uh, it's the ideal place to try and invest a lot of time and energy and because it's facing some of these monumental challenges that could really be solved in an, in an innovative way. And so I, you know, I would say, you know, pay, pay attention to Long Beach. It's a, it's, it's a big city, you know, and it's, it's pretty fairly close right down the 710 or the 110, right? And uh, it's a city that I think if, if it finds a way to address some of these challenges in an innovative way, it could serve as a model uh, for other mid-sized cities uh, across the country. Yeah. One thing, last thing I want to ask you about with the, teacher strikes going on in different parts of the country now and, and unions playing a role they haven't played in a while in terms of visibility and and multiple um, strikes and in multiple states, I think, is, is at least in my lifetime, hasn't uh, been something that's been frequent and in the news. What kind of thoughts do you have when you see that happening? Uh, well, I mean, I think for me, it's 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 very clear that you know unions are are an integral part to the progressive movement, right? It's it's one one part of many. It's not the end all be all, but it's one part of many. And I think when workers get together and organize, and no matter what kinds of institution uh, they are part of, it's exciting because it's it's really the essence of democracy. Is people people coming out, participating, demanding for what they believe is fair and equitable, uh, and what's needed, and so. 
I think from Long Beach, you know, to, to greater parts of LA, to the valleys, uh, to the Inland Empire. I mean, the more people that are organized and that are coming out and that are interfacing with unions, the better. Uh, I think it makes our democracy stronger and it really pushes towards a more accurate view of, of what it is that our, you know, our policies should be serving and where, where they should be oriented to. And then what's your advice to folks who are younger, say in their early to mid 20s, whose experience with unions is so different than and even someone like me who might be 10 years older or people in our parents' generation? Uh, what advice do you give them about um, understanding what unions are or being supportive of union causes? How does that conversation usually go? I mean, I think for me, it's uh, once you once you start off with the icebreaker saying, you know, you can thank the thank the union for the for the weekend, <laughs> you know, uh, or the eight hour workday. I think people begin to realize you start to demystify a little bit what it is that unions actually stand for. Um, and I think when you talk to a lot of millennials, you know, it's shown that we're more we're more amenable to this idea of having collective bargaining rights or having specific, you know, wage standards and benefit standards, right, because of the way in which things have developed economically uh, in the country. Um, you know, it's oftentimes it can be a hard conversation, but I think once you once you actually talk about it, I think, you know, the value of being a part of a union is you can't really beat it. I mean, I think I, I tell everyone it's like the most surefire way of making sure that you are adequately protected and that you have a voice in the workplace. Uh, and it's really the ultimate example of democracy uh, that we look at. And I think people should give it a shot. I think people should should dive into to more deeply into what unions are and the role that they have played and that they will continue to play uh, moving forward. Listen, thanks for sharing your insights. And thanks to everyone who's listened to this episode of The Zag. Stay tuned for more episodes later this week. And of course, you can find all past episodes. And we're actually nearing in on 50 of them. You can find them on our website, la.newleaderscouncil.org slash media. You can find them in the iTunes store, Google Play store, SoundCloud, and hopefully soon on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.